good morning to you. I'm so happy to be with you as always every Sunday and uh, singing together, praying together, coming before the living God together as a living body, as an extension of, uh, of God's uh, hands and feet into the world and an opportunity to come and to gather up the, um, the desires of our hearts and to lift them together before God. Back in May of 1981, uh, Pope John Paul II was uh, walking through um, uh, the square at the Vatican, and uh, as throngs of people gathered around him, uh, there were four gunshots that rang out uh, that day and nearly killed him and uh, put him in the hospital for a long time. I remember I was nine years old, and I still remember the news reports and the subsequent events. Uh, which followed, and uh, watching the way he responded to that has just was impressive to me. Not not because I knew of anything impressive; it just marked me because I thought that that's the kind of life I want to be able to live when someone has been uh, and perpetrated such evil and uh, harshness toward me. Um, the news stories that proceeded after that episode um, uh, recounted part of. Uh, John Paul going to visit the would-be assassin in his prison cell. He had described how he had forgiven the man who had shot him. And then he goes to the Italian court to petition for his pardon after his life a sentence in prison. And uh, still, as a 9, 10-year-old, as all of that was unfolding, I thought, wow, what an amazing person that is. And as I've continued to grow in my faith and watched um, just how Jesus would have me live and us live, and in our passage this morning, it, He becomes an example of really demonstrating exactly what um, I hope we take away today. And that is the idea of uh, non-reciprocity in our relationships. And here's what I mean by that. Is that most of us, I think you would agree, that uh, we tend toward reciprocal relationships. And here's what I mean. If Andy comes and, and he's nice and polite to me, what is my tendency back toward Andy? To be nice and polite, right? If uh, Miriam comes and she's really loving finally toward me. <laughs> finally, Miriam. You're always so loving. I, how could I not love you in return? But it's easy, right? That's, that's what's come so natural for us. Right? If you're a student at school, what happens? I know we, we like to joke, and especially boys, it seems, really like to, to joke and cut, cut each other down. But often there's one or two students that you really, you know, every time you see them, you roll your eyes. And you're not really happy to be around them. And there are times maybe when they burn you. And not for fun, but what is your natural inclination in response? Is to burn them back, Right? You want to cut them down because you don't like them so much, and that comes so naturally for you. What about a neighbor who may come and regularly and grumpily complain about your property? What, what is our tendency? Is it to begin to nitpick about what's wrong with their property and, and other things like that? that? That's our most natural response. What about those who might reject you because of your Christian faith? What is our response there? Here's what I hope that we all take Today, If you remember nothing else, this is what I hope you'll remember. We've sung today, that song step by step, that we would learn to follow in the ways of Jesus. And here's what I, I hope we will take with us this morning, is that living in the way of Jesus is allowing Jesus to have His way with me. If you are going to live in the way of Jesus, 
It is a lifelong growing into learning to allow Jesus to have His way in your life. To let what He says go in you. To let what He says is important become important for you. To let what He says is of greatest value to become of great and greatest value for you. That is the role and the call of discipleship. Living in the way of Jesus is letting Jesus have His way with you. In our passage today, we're going to talk about non-reciprocity. Here's a phrase that is not Christian. You fight fire with fire. Do you know that's not in the Bible? (laughs) That is not... That is not the way of Christian living, but that is the way of the world. And that is the way many of us tend to respond when the heat is turned up, when relationships turn sour, when people intentionally want to do harm to us or do wrong to us or uh, any manner of, of evil toward us. That is our natural response. And that is why we so desperately need the presence and the personality of Jesus in us Because if we're going to walk in the way of Jesus, what do we have to do? We have to let Jesus have His way with us. Right? Someone does me wrong, I don't go and do them wrong in return. Jesus knows that that just escalates the situation instead of promoting peace. Paul would say it this way, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. With good, that's not always easy. But it is the call of Jesus in our lives. Living in the way of Jesus is letting Jesus have His way with you. He knows that our most natural selves drift toward treating others the way that they've treated us. Reciprocity. But He calls us to something higher and something far better. And that is the goal of non-reciprocity. Let's read together the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. Beginning in verse 27. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. We'll start there and read a few verses following. You remember, Jesus, as Luke is uh, outlining his, uh, the, the gospel here, he is describing the people that he's calling into his kingdom, right? Everyday people, undeserving people, people of no social significance, people that have no right to claim familial heritage or certain privilege or anything like that. Jesus calls us to the cross and He calls us to die so that in our death in Christ we might live in Him and He might live in us. Jesus is forming His kingdom and now He's describing to the people who would be His people, what the life that they are to live, not not just sort of big ideals, but we are now empowered by Him to actually live the life that He says we are to attain. And so here we go. He's continuing to describe, you you picture, this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a little shorter than Matthew's version. And Jesus is called together. It, It describes three groups of people. He's got the 12 apostles that He's just named. He's got a whole crowd of other people and then His disciples. They're all gathered there. And He turns and He speaks directly to His disciples in the hearing of the larger crowds. And He continues this teaching. Here's what He says, verse 27, Luke chapter 6. But I tell you who hear Me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, 
Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do do to others as you would have them do to you. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Merciful God, we turn our attention to You, as we have in our singing and in our praying and in our hearing, and now we desire to hear Your voice, not Not a pastor's voice, but your voice, God, speaking through your living word. And so we invite you to tenderize our hearts and to dig out our ears so that we can be those who really hear and respond and love you the way that you have loved us. Help us now, we pray. Great teacher, holy Lord, living lamb, lamb who is worthy. Jesus is his name. Amen. Amen. These two little passages that that really are connected together have a couple of summary points. One is one that you're very familiar with, and it's the golden rule, right? Do to others, what's it say? As you would have them do to to you, right? It doesn't say do to others as they have done to you. That wouldn't be a very happy world, would it? (laughs) I'm glad that other people have grace toward me sometimes when I'm kind of a stinker toward them. Aren't you glad people do that to you sometimes? I sure am. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The second summary is this. It, it points us to living the life because it is representative of the character of God. And if Jesus is truly alive and He's really living in you, then over time your life reflects more and more the character of God. Here's how the passage uh, wraps up. It says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Let's start with the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That comes right on the heels of the description of loving your enemies. Who are our enemies? Those who have placed you as the object of their scorn. Those who oppose you. Those who, for whatever reason, have placed you in their crosshairs and, and they choose to do things to mistreat you. Perhaps especially because of your faith in Christ. If we go back to verse 22, we we see Jesus describing us in this way. He says, Blessed are you when men hate you and they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. But enemies come in a lot of shapes and sizes, don't they? How do you respond to those who treat you poorly? Jesus gives a couple of examples. He says... If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him your other cheek also. Matthew's version of this says, If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn also the other one. I think what Jesus is aiming at is less about bodily injury and more about personal insult. 
It's the idea if I were to strike somebody on the right cheek, most likely using my right hand, what am I doing? I'm backhanding them. For many generations and in many cultures, that's always a sign of insult. If I really want to do harm, what do I do? Double up my fist. At least the Western shows I grew up watching did, right? You double up your fist and you lay into them. If you want to insult somebody, remember the old cartoons? Pull off your glove. What do you do with your glove? It's the old French way. French people, I love them. You take off your glove and what do you do with it? Right? It doesn't even hurt. But it's not intended to be physical injury. It's intended to be personal insult. When somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. It doesn't say strike them back. It doesn't say insult them back. That's reciprocity in relationships. Jesus is calling us to non-reciprocal. In fact, we're to return evil with good. It's not just doing nothing. It's not just holding back and, and turning back what they have done back on them. It's about actually doing good instead and in place of the bad that they have done toward us. In another description, he says, if somebody wants to take your, uh, your cloak, don't, don't withhold your tunic also. Here, here's what it was like in the first century. You know, for centuries, clothing has always mattered. And uh, um, different clothing described different things. But a basic first century person's clothing basically had three parts. You had sort of a loincloth. That was your basic close-to-the-skin underwear. And then you had kind of a T-shirt. It was called a tunic. It was, you know, about uh, mid, mid-thigh length or so. And it had holes where you put your arms out of, a hole for your head, usually two pieces of cloth sewn together. And then you had your outer garment. That was called the cloak. And in Matthew, when he describes the Sermon on the Mount, he says it this way. He pictures more of a courtroom. And in the courtroom, somebody has come and is suing someone else. So let's pretend I owe Steve some money, and I've been unwilling or unable to pay Steve back. And Steve is fed up with me. He's had it. right? So he takes me to court. And uh, he says, not only am I going to take your tunic, that kind of undershirt, but I'm also going to sue you for your cloak. Now, here's, here's the legal reality of the first century, is that everybody had the right to their cloak. Nobody could, even a creditor, could not demand payment or repayment by taking your cloak. A cloak was a basic, human, essential thing that you would carry with you. And so here's the picture in Matthew, is that if you're standing in the courtroom, at bad Steve, the creditor, I can't pay him back, but he wants his money. And he comes and he's taking legally what he could take, my tunic. Jesus would say, the way Matthew portrays it, is that I should also be happy to give him my cloak as well. And in the process, if that's what he's demanding of me, in the process, what he's essentially trying to do is to dehumanize me and to strip me of my dignity. And in doing that action, I'm actually unmasking the intent of his heart. And I'm not responding reciprocally, but it's in a non-reciprocity concept. And in fact, I'm, I'm fighting with different instruments and with different tools than what the world would have for us. Your statement is this, that my possessions do not hold me, but God holds me. You may try to dehumanize or strip away my personal dignity, but your labels will not define me. God's label will define me. I know who I am in Christ because I am loved. He has demonstrated His love by dying for me. 
He calls me his son or his daughter. The Bible over and over describes how lavishly God has poured out his love on me. So your labels are not going to describe me. Your attempts to strip my dignity, that will not define me. I will, in Christ, I will stand up and not be overcome with evil. But by doing good, evil will be overcome. You see, living in the way of Jesus is letting Jesus have His way with you. And then mercy. He goes on to describe this merciful God. Mercy is an active compassion. It's a compassion that has actual texture and meat to it and it has steps that take. It's, you know, Jesus would say, you know what, if, if Andy's nice to me, or poor Miriam, if she's really nice to me and I'm nice back to her, it's kind of like, eh, eh, so what? That's the most natural thing in the world to do, so what? What Jesus calls you to is when things are hard and people aren't good, people are intentionally bad and poor to you, how do you let Jesus respond through you in that moment? That demonstrates the reality of Christ in you. It's not natural to truly act in loving ways toward your enemies. But love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend them without expecting to get anything back. You see, the type of love Jesus asks and calls us to toward our enemies is not that I'm going to do good to you now because in my doing good I know it's going to change something. That's, that's not the impulse or the drive. The drive is simply we do good. We respond with Christ's goodness. We don't act even toward our enemies in the hopes that somehow it will leverage some sort of response back from them. That's manipulation. That's not the call of Christ. We are simply called to respond in the way Jesus would respond in the way He has called us to. It's by loving our enemies. How do we do that? Great question. At the beginning of the the passage here, Jesus says, I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Here's what you do. Here's how you demonstrate and know that you're loving your enemies. However you characterize those enemies. You can ask these questions, am I desiring good for them even though they are seeking my harm? That's part of loving your enemies. Am I willing to do good to them even if they're not doing good to me? You see, it's non-reciprocal. Am I praying for God's good to them? That God's good might be known to them and done to them. That's love for enemies. How do we do it? Well, part of it is praying. And not just praying about. You know, sometimes you have a conflict with somebody and it's easy to pray about them, right? You pray about the issue, or you pray about their attitude, or you pray about the words they're using, and that's okay. But I think what Jesus is calling us toward is something more. It's about praying for them, not just about them. Do you see the difference? Praying for them is praying that God might interrupt their life. Praying for them is that they would learn to walk in the way of Jesus by they also, by them also allowing Jesus to have His way with them. Do you see the difference about praying for somebody and praying about somebody? In my mind, there's a big difference in it. 
But that's one tip I would give to you. We've had a lot of issues in recent weeks that's flared up, at least very publicly again, about white supremacists. And part of what I've, through this passage, been wondering, what what do I do? What do we do? And how do I pray into this situation? Um, And what else might I do? But it's not just about condemning people, even if I think issues or attitudes are abhorrent, but it's about praying for them, praying that Jesus would transform their hearts because it's in that transformation that the issues of life begin to be touched. Do you see what I mean? You might, you might be filled with rage at Muslim terrorists, but it's not about praying just about issues. It's about praying for people to know Jesus. So step number one, how do we love our enemies? How do we desire good for them? How do we do good to them? How do we pray for God's good toward them? I don't know if you've ever had a real enemy in your life. Someone you've had a real problem with. Someone you, you don't even want to think about, let alone pray for. But I tell you what, when you begin to pray for somebody and really pray for them, it begins to change your heart. You begin to invite God to touch and change the way you understand them, the way you approach them, the way you interact with them, and God will do it. Not only in your prayer will God begin and you watch and hope for a change in them, but God begins to do a work in you toward them. That is a huge and significant part. So number one is to pray for them. Number two is to, whoever your enemy might be or in the future, take small steps. Things like this, acknowledging the person when you see them, not crossing the road to go on the other sidewalk. Not uh, you know pretending like you don't see them or that you're not there. You speak to them, you greet them as you have opportunity, even if they don't respond. Yeah, you can't handle or you can't dictate how other people respond, but you can... You can, in Christ, respond in the way you should. And then number three, don't ignore the opportunities God may give you to demonstrate tangibly love toward them. It's not about them loving you and then you love them in return. It's about you loving as Christ has loved you. How in the world do we do it? That's a pretty tall task, isn't it? How do we be merciful because God is merciful? Well... It's about taking the mercy and the deep compassion God has demonstrated to you. Did God wait until you were clean and not a sinner in order to love you? Of course He didn't. While you and me, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. That is mercy. God looked out on our spiritual condition and He took pity and compassion on us and He came into our world. That's mercy. That's the character of God. And that is the character that Jesus begins to shape in us. If you want to walk in the way of Jesus, we have to grow in our letting Jesus have His way with us. In other words, if you want to love more fully and more deeply, it's not about just trying to love more deeply and more fully. It's about spending time with Jesus. It's about letting the personality of Jesus invade your life. And it's about Him occupying your heart. It's letting Him have His way with you so that you can live in His way. So the question for us today, at least one of them, is this. How is your time regularly with Jesus going? Uh, just this morning, uh, I passed Steve before most everybody was here. and 
he was taking uh, moving a cross that we had out there, um, about a six-foot cross, and he was putting it back in storage. And uh, I joked with him and said, Hey, Steve, you're taking up your cross today, are you? And we laughed. And he said, Yeah, I probably should do that more often. I said, Yeah, me too. Uh, it's probably, probably better that we don't do it just once a month, right? Remember the call of Jesus is what? To take up your cross how often? To take it up daily. It's not the third Monday of every month you decide to take your cross and to identify in your relationship with the Lord and let your life reflect that. It's not, it's not every second Saturday that you say, today's the day I'm going to take up my cross. It's a daily reality. We wake up and our feet hit the floor and we seek the Lord's presence. And we let Him prepare us for what is to come and we look eagerly at what, where He will meet us and how we'll watch Him at work around us. Take up your cross daily and walk and pursue Jesus. So this morning, I want to leave you with this question. We're going to spend a little time just reflecting while Steve comes and plays, and then he's going to wrap us up as we'll sing our final song together. But I just want to invite you this morning. There's been so much going on in our world today and in these recent weeks that are so public and so disturbing and and so challenging. And you may come today with certain enemies in your life who have not treated you right, who have not done well to you. And it's a challenge today to respond in a non-reciprocal way, to respond with love instead of with uh, evil intent or action. I want to invite you this morning just to reflect in your heart before the Lord. Steve's going to play while we do so. You just pray, and then we'll sing together when it's time.